Well, hey, everyone, and welcome back to another round of Snake Oilers for 2023. My name is Patrick Gray. And for those of you who don't know, Snake Oilers is a podcast series we do uh, where vendors get to come onto the show and pitch their products. And that means that everyone you hear in one of these Snake Oilers editions, they paid to be here. Uh, but we've got three great products to pitch to you all today. We'll be hearing from Mandiant about its purple teaming product, which uh, you, you'll hear, you'll detect uh, that I'm actually a big fan of these types of exercises. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I personally think they're often a lot more useful uh, than a red team exercise. So we'll be hearing uh, from Mandiant on that. Uh, we'll also be hearing from Teleport and they make a product that lets your engineers access infrastructure in a secure way. So they're like a secure access gateway into your infrastructure, handling things like SSH, Kubernetes, My, My, MySQL, you know, whatever. Uh, so it's like single sign-on and access broking for engineers. Uh, but first up, we're gonna chat to Socket. So Socket is a supply chain security tool that is available as a free GitHub plugin. Uh, obviously, there's an enterprise version with more advanced features also. That's a paid version. But yes, it is a GitHub plugin that can stop you from merging malicious code into your repos that might come down the pipeline from a package repository like NPM. So uh, whether it's a maintainer who's just like popped a fuse and gone nuts, which happens sometimes, uh, or a compromised repo, whatever it is, the idea is Socket can protect you from supply chain badness. So here is Socket's founder, Faros Abukadije. When you have these massive dependency trees and you have the, you know thousands and thousands of dependencies in the average application today, you kind of end up with you know any single maintainer having you know just a little too much power there, um, and and you know a single bad update, a single um, you know compromise in any of those packages, and you end up in a really bad place. Uh, and so you know that's that's kind of that was the first look I had at this problem. Uh, then later on, we were building an end-to-end -end encrypted file transfer application, uh, trying to do everything right. You know, very strict code review, um, a CSP policy. You know, being really really careful when choosing dependencies, doing all the kind of standard security stuff. Um, but despite this, we sort of ended up in a place where we had thousands of dependencies in our in our node modules at the end of the day there, and. Using modern tools like Dependabot, you know, we're getting a lot of um, you know pull requests requesting us to update our dependencies, sometimes to fix a CVE. Uh, but you know, as we merge those, we realize you know significant portions of our of our app are actually changing. You know, something like five percent of the lines of code in our app was changing every week just by merging these uh, these these updates to our dependencies. And we had this kind of nagging feeling that. You know, we we weren't really doing right by our users, if you know, in saying that this thing is this this app is secure. Meanwhile, you know, we're we're kind of just changing significant portions of the code without really even looking at it. And so, you know, it, it's it's um, it's it's one of these things where you know it's been really hard to do the right thing here. Mm. Um, it's 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 you know, a lot of teams will have a process to code review their own teammates' code. You know, you can't get code into production until you had at least a code review from one person, right? But when it comes to open source code, you know, you just end up merging that pull request. You, you can have uh, developers easily, you know, updating dependencies multiple times per day, uh, not just on their development machine, but you know, landing on the main branch on GitHub, and uh, and that goes out to production right away. So sometimes you'll be having a dependency go out to production just mere hours after it's been published. Mm. So I, I think it's kind of a new phenomenon, and and it's it's uh, it's pretty different than than the old days. Just the speed, the kind of rate of change is just an order of magnitude faster. So why don't you start off by telling us what what's the primary risk that you're trying to actually uh, deal with here? 
So, you know, there's there's a whole bunch of different threats in the open source ecosystem from typo squatting to dependency confusion, uh, hijacked packages, malicious install scripts. So, you know, we're interested in finding all of those. So these are the kind of top sources of um, of supply chain attacks in open source. And uh, we want to help developers and security teams stop those before they get into the code base. Right. So that's that's kind of the idea. We do it in a so few you, ways. So you're not prioritizing one over the other. It's just all about, you know, just generally integrity. Correct. Yeah. yeah. I mean, f- fundamentally today, the, the kind of problem we, we, we want to solve is that when a developer adds a dependency or updates a dependency, there's no way for the team to or the developer themselves to understand what are the implications of this. Right. They have no idea what code is actually changing. They have no idea what the capabilities of those new dependencies are. For example, you know, is data going to get sent to the network? Is it going to read files on the file system? Is it going to read environment variables? Um, I mean, you know, this and, stuff sounds like stuff you want to know. I'm just, yeah. Yeah, it's it's just basic stuff, right? Like, I mean, if you notice that you're adding a UI component that's going to show a button on your website, right? You want to know if that's reading your environment variables and sending them to the network. I mean, it's, yeah. it shouldn't it shouldn't be doing that. No. So, <laughs> so <laughs> I mean, I'm no I'm no dev expert, but uh, yeah, no. Yeah, so so that's what we're doing. We're giving the developer the visibility, and then we're we're educating them. So if they if they select a dependency with one of these issues, we explain it to them directly in the pull request, so they get that insight right there where they're doing their work, and then we encourage them to pick better dependencies. So we we sort of speed bump them, uh, give them that info, and then uh, equip them to make a better decision. So that's kind of the first part. And then we do also proactive attack prevention. So if if they really are doing something extremely egregious, we want to stop them from doing that. So we really stop the developer from doing stupid things. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) that was going to be my next question because it sounds like, okay, so this is an informational product, but do you actually have like hard blocks on them doing certain things like pulling in? I'm guessing a hard block on pulling in something that's known malicious, right? Would be a good example. Correct. Yeah, known malicious is definitely blocked out of the box. Um, but we have some teams that actually go beyond that and, and want to kind of um, block more than just the defaults. So, you know, by default, we block um, known malicious. We, we block protest where, um, we, you know, we, we block um, packages that contain uh, unsec- you know, insecure dependencies. Why, that why don't you just over- explain to the listeners what protest where is? Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> this is a fun one. Um, so protest where is, you know, how do I put this? Developers are, are using their open source projects to voice their opinions, which has resulted in some of them adding broken code or uh, protest messages or basically like sabotaging code or damaging functionality into their projects without any warning. And this can cause issues when you're updating your dependencies and your application is just pulling in the newest version. You know, it's, it's a nasty surprise when that happens. And so, um, you know, without really going into whether or not, you know, I support or don't support the various messages that these maintainers have, um, you know, the effects of these changes, they're not documented, right? <laughs> they usually come in in a patch release. So, you know, it's not it's not something you're looking for. And then, um, you know, they can they can have kind of uh, uh, serious effects on your on your project. A uh, recent example would be um, there was a developer who added uh, protestware to their project uh, event source polyfill. And uh, it would it would uh, basically wait 15 seconds, and then it would pop open a, a pop-up window from your website front end, uh, redirecting your your website visitors to a petition to protest the the war in Ukraine. And you know 
while you might support that that um, you know cause, having your you know your bank website popping open <laughs> pop-ups to random petition sites is not really something you want in your software, especially nah. especially when it's not documented, and especially when they actually targeted it to only um, affect users in certain time zones. So it often would be missed in testing. Yeah. You have to be in kind of an Eastern European time zone to even trigger it. So really, really. And, uh, and how are you sneaky. guys, you know, going out and identifying that stuff? You know, is this, you know, you're relying on people flagging that, or are you going going out there proactively looking, or? So we have a combination of approaches. The first is we use static analysis to analyze the source code of the dependencies. So, um, you know, we take. You can kind of think of it like taking um, like a traditional SAST tool, but but really we've we've kind of developed our own in-house that is custom, and we look for specific risk factors in the packages, and then when we find those and we find a combination of those, um, then you know we 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 put that in our in our queue to kind of review and to and to to look at. Um, you can also. Um, uh, specify that you want to just know about any any package that has a specific um, kind of issue in it and we'll let you know about that so you can kind of review it yourself as well but um, really we're we're um, we're looking at the package holistically so static analysis is one the other is the maintainer behavior so if we see that a new maintainer has been added they have no history right and and they're doing something like adding kind of a new dependency or adding obfuscated code like that's a huge red flag um, and then finally, we also look at metadata around the package. So for example, if we see that a package um, has a name that's one letter off from a yeah, much, yeah, much yeah, more popular yeah. package, right? You know, that's a very easy uh, typo squat detection right there. We'll tell you, we'll tell the developer, hey, like, are you sure you meant to install, you know, React instead of React? And and then kind of intervene <laughs> yeah. right there. And, and They'll fix, fix their own problem right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, at this point, we should actually talk about how you deploy, and it's via a GitHub app, and you also have a command line tool as well. And I think now is a good time to mention, and I, I no doubt when I'm writing the intro to this, I will mention it in the intro as well. Um, but, you know, the starter version of this thing is free, right? So, uh, and I was really surprised because I like to do a little bit of research before I do these interviews and, you know, great transparent pricing on your website. Starter version is free. You know, the sort of mid-tier one for teams, 20 to 25 people is um, 20 bucks per user per month. And then you've got contact us, uh, you know, for, for enterprise pricing. But, um, I mean, that's that's the way that this gets integrated, right, is, is via the GitHub app, I'm guessing, 99% of the time or 90% of the time and then 10% via the, the CLI tool. Yeah, yeah. So the GitHub app is the fastest way to get started. We have a two-click install. Um, if you use JavaScript or Python dependencies and you want to try it out, it's literally two clicks and it'll add it to your GitHub repositories and you can start playing with it right away. Yeah, and, so you cover you cover um, like NPM and PyPy, right? Correct, yeah. And we're, we're planning to roll out additional languages at a pretty aggressive pace here. So it probably... In Q2, by the end of Q2, we'll have um, probably another three, four languages added to that list. So Java, yeah. Go, Rust, um, and, and, and Ruby, and that type of thing. So um, we're, we're, we're aggressively expanding. Um, but yeah, the most important thing to us with, with Socket was we needed it to be developer-friendly. I mean, I'm a developer, and like most security software, it's typically sold to executives, so it tends to suck to actually use it. And in the best case, you know, it gets purchased and it sits around on a shelf bothering uh, nobody and kind of protecting nobody. But like in the worst case, it's going to prevent developers from getting stuff done. And you know, as a developer, I didn't want that to be the case with Socket. So it's it's really developer friendly. You know, you install it on your on your repos, and you're going to right away just you're going to have uh, developers getting educated directly in the PRs, and it doesn't block them unless there's uh, 
you know, unless the developer themselves would be happy to be blocked <laughs> because you are you are protecting them from doing something stupid, uh, and yeah. uh, and and so that's that's kind of. Well, I mean, you could kind of you could kind of think of it. Most of the time, it's going to be doing the equivalent of tapping you on the shoulder and saying, you know, maybe you don't want to do this, and here's why. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Ferros DJ, thank you very much for joining us uh, to talk us through uh, Socket. Sounds like a completely worthy endeavor. And um, yeah, I'm guessing listeners can go and, uh, you know, just deploy that free version. See if you like it. I'm guessing that's how most people do it. Um, a pleasure to chat to you and all the best with it. Thanks, Pat. That was Ferros DJ there from Socket. Big thanks to him for that. And you can find them at socket.dev. And do remember the URL because a company called Socket, uh, as you can imagine, little bit difficult to find on the old Googles without something um, a bit more specific. So yeah, socket.dev. We're going to talk about secure access to infrastructure now. And Ev Consovoy is a co-founder of Teleport. Uh, and uh, he serves as Teleport CEO. And uh, Teleport makes a platform that your engineers can use to access your infrastructure, whether that's uh, SSH uh, via SSH or you know directly into things like Kubernetes or MySQL whatever. So it's like an access proxy with all of the auth bells and whistles and auditing and all of that good stuff as well. Uh, and it's got some nice features in it, which Ev will explain in this interview. Enjoy. So the primary benefit is ease of use because the way infrastructure is accessed today is complicated and it's complicated and hard because of the scale. So if you think about how much hardware we actually have, we have many different cloud environments all over the world. Then we think about how much software we need to access. We have databases, Kubernetes clusters, different Linux distros, uh, CICD pipelines, and monitoring dashboards. All of this is infrastructure. And then we also have more and more people in our organizations. We have engineers, database administrators, DevOps engineers, security people. So if you combine those three, so you need to scale for access for hardware, for software, for people where it's really, really, really hard. And we simplify that. We give you a single access solution that works for everything you have. So if I'm going to be really, you know, really oversimplify this, can we call this basically SSO for engineers, SSO for infrastructure? Is that kind of the idea here? SSO is a one quarter uh, of the complete solution because SSO simply gives you authentication, but you also need to actually connect to it. How do you establish a, a connection into, a, let's say, MySQL database running on a private network somewhere. So that's the connectivity. It's, it's another component of access. Access actually means four things, connectivity, authentication, authorization, and audit. So if you look into what we do for authorization, let's just say you are an intern. It means that your permissions, they need to be intern permissions, regardless of what you are trying to access. Uh, you go into a Kubernetes cluster, you have intern privileges within that cluster. You go into uh, a Linux box, you get intern level privileges on that box. You try to access production, you don't get any access at all because production environment's not for interns to touch. So that's authorization. And finally, the audit. So we consolidate audit from all of these different protocols and all of these different technologies in different locations in one place. You're almost, you know, installing something akin to like an access proxy, right? Into, into infrastructure. Is that kind of how this works? Uh, so from a technology perspective, yes, that is the case. Although our approach, uh, if you were to ask me how we different from all of our competitors all at once, I will say that our approach is, uh, our differentiation is based on three components. First is that we are a secretless system. Uh, Teleport does not use secrets of any kind anywhere in its design. 
And I would like to spend more time talking about that. Sure. Second component is that we're a zero trust solution, which means that when you deploy Teleport in a zero trust mode, it means that all of your hosts, all of like your infrastructure doesn't listen on the network at all. Like if there is not a single socket that's in listening mode, uh, which uh, allows you to actually not even think about the perimeter at all. And the third component is that we're actually an open source uh, solution, which you could use without even having to talk to me. So you can go download Teleport, get it in your infrastructure and enjoy it. But now, if you don't mind, I would love to talk about secrets because that to us is the critical capability. Yeah, and I, I want to talk to you about the, you know, no listening ports uh, uh, thing as well, right? So, because I'm, I'm guessing that's agents. But anyway, about secrets first, tell me. Well, when you scale access, you have to understand that it's all, it's a probability game. At the end of the day, the weakest link in any security is a human. Someone can open the wrong email attachment, click on the wrong link, or share their password somewhere. So humans make mistakes all the time. This is why phishing is such a big problem in the industry, because humans are actually constantly getting attacked. And the result of all of these attacks is usually a secret being stolen or leaking from your infrastructure. It could be your private SSH key, it could be password, it could be your browser cookie, it could be a, um, a host key, host private key, just recently happened, I think, with... Uh, uh, there was a big vulnerability just yesterday. Um, so therefore, the solution to prevent, because like you cannot prevent humans from making mistakes. It will repeatedly, it will keep happening and it will be happening more frequently the bigger you get. So therefore at scale, secret-based approach doesn't work at all. So what you have to do is get rid of all the secrets from your infrastructure. So then when humans make mistakes, there is nothing an attacker can steal that they could use to attack you later. So Teleport replaces all private key material, all forms of it, with a um, combination of biometric for humans, uh, secure hardware for devices, that's basically TPM, HSM technology, and for identity transfer, we use uh, self-expired certificates everywhere, which means that in the Teleport installation, there is never any um, a lasting static secret, some credential that could be stolen or shared or sold, um, that is how we provide you with security that scales. So, so they, the might, they might be able to steal some sort of, you know, session secret that's going to expire pretty quickly. I think the point that you're getting at is is it's nothing lasting. Not Nothing lasting. Exactly. I mean, because you need a secret, right? You can't be secretless. But I guess what you've got here is no lasting secrets, which... No yeah. lasting secrets. Yeah. That's right. But even those secrets that are expiring, you can still pin them to a specific context, like IP or, which is something that we're now trying to popularize, the intent-oriented access is when like a secret exists for a single session, hmm. which means that, let's just say, you try to access like extremely mission-critical resource, maybe some kind of database or a Kubernetes cluster somewhere. And by default, no one has access to this thing, like not a single person. But when you need to access it because maybe you're working on some support ticket or there is some kind of troubleshooting um, uh, task that's in front of you. So when you try to access this thing, Teleport would send an access request to your team members. It's kind of similar to pull requests in code. And they, using Slack or something like this, they would approve your permissions to be elevated just for that one session. And then once you're done accessing, the resource permissions are revoked again. So. Yeah. In this scenario, like even if you try to steal that session information and try to use it again, it won't let you again because only a single session was allowed. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, that makes sense. Now, look, you you did mention earlier that uh, no open ports, right? Which sounds great, but like, you know, you kind of need an open port on SSH to make things work unless you're talking about running an agent on servers that connects back into uh, your, you know, teleport box, right? Is that, That's is right. That, That's yeah, right. Okay. So when we talk about zero trust, I, I like uh, grabbing my f- iPhone and it will show it to a customer or someone in the industry. Like an iPhone is a true zero trust device. It only trusts Apple. It doesn't really trust anybody. And uh, Teleport converts all of your infrastructure to be very iPhone-like in that sense. But when we talk about agents, you already have an agent on the machine. It's SSHD. Like every Linux box has that. So Teleport is, is a replacement for SSHD. So if you deploy Teleport in a zero trust mode, you basically swap one agent for another. So the total amount of agents you have on your infrastructure stays the same. Um, so but, hang on, this uh, is your own your own version of SSHD, basically that pretty much, connects yeah. back, right? Okay, so you've taken the open source code for SSH, open SSH, and you've wrapped some stuff around it to make it connect back. Is that kind of the, the what it is like Even a lightly better. modified? We, no, on. Teleport is the second most popular uh, open implementation of SSH protocol. We do not use open SSH code. Teleport implements SSH from scratch uh, using Go programming language. And that is the reason why we are open source, because in the early days when we were, because winning trust in this industry is pretty hard. So developing in the open and relying on solid um, SSH uh, crypto implementations from Google, that's what allowed us to build um, the trust that we've built with with the industry. Because there are plenty of companies that you can go and find on our website that rely on our SSH implementation. So we're a clean sheet implementation of SSH. Yeah, nice, nice. But it's an SSH that when you spin it up, it will just connect back to, uh, you know, the, the customer's teleport instance. I mean, this makes a lot of sense because quite often, right, you might have some sort of access broker that goes out and logs people into, you know, SSH sessions, which is great. But if those SSH ports are still available, then people can still brute them and whatever and just sort of bypass the, the you know, authentication and auditing proxy, right? So I'm guessing yeah. that's why you've done it this way. Exactly. And also just to uh, make it clear, we're using SSH only as an example here because Teleport yeah, supports yeah, 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 yeah. numerous protocols. We could do it for MySQL. We could do it for Windows. Yeah, I mean, uh, this, was literally gonna be, this was literally going to be my next question. Uh, I was going to say, like, obviously we've been, you know, couching this, this conversation in terms of SSH, but, you know, you're not an SSH. You're not just an SSH uh, tool company. I mean, you support all sorts of stuff like, you know, Kubernetes and, as you said, Windows and... The goal is to say we support all of your infrastructure. So yeah. we are launching support for additional workloads in a pretty rapid play, uh, pace. And we already have a uh, like substantial library of workloads we can connect you to. But the, the end state, and this is extremely important, if you talk to a security person at most companies, they will always mention that they're concerned with uh, phishing. Phishing is a very uh, common topic. And they're also concerned with access silos. Access silos means that you have different places where policy is set and enforced, and everyone is always concerned about these places being like not synchronized. Let me give you an example. Let's just say you have a very valuable data sitting in a database. Like, just count how many different ways that data could be stolen. You could go through AWS API and do like a dump of that storage volume, right? You could do an SSH into that box that runs the database. If you're using Kubernetes, you can try to get through Kubernetes API into the database. You connect to database socket it directly. So all of these different kind of ways to access that information, it would have been great 
if there was a single source of policy that you can enforce. But that is only possible when you actually consolidate your infrastructure view in one place. That is why Teleport, uh, it's, it's the first capability we built. We maintain a live inventory of everything you have. So that includes all of your devices, like all of your servers, all of your databases, but all of like things like client laptops. So like you could define the trusted hardware and untrusted hardware. So if you like acquire Apple laptops for your engineers, you enroll them into the system. So their a TPM chip becomes because every laptop has a, a basically hardware identity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I so mean, are you supporting Fido? Device. Are yeah. you supporting Fido too as well? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, excellent. So, I mean, I, I guess, I guess, really, like companies like Teleport uh, and and its competitors exist because I think we've got to the point where you know it's not like it was twenty years ago where you'd have one server in a DMZ, right? And that was the thing that the engineers would access. You know, these days, you don't really want every single endpoint in your internet-facing infrastructure just being nakedly accessible, right? Like having some sort of access brokering into your gubbins. Um, is just going to make sense. Absolutely. But again, the underlying, maybe I'm underplaying uh, like our network uh, technology, but in my opinion, like network shouldn't even matter when it comes to security. You should be able to uh, run workloads on like IoT devices, on self-driving platforms. These, these things, they don't have VPN or firewall in front of them. Uh, some of them run on public um, IP addresses, with, but with... Uh, open connectivity and that's why uh, zero trust approach matters so much because if all of these devices actually don't ever pick up the phone and the only way to get through them is through an identity aware multi-protocol proxy that works using those reverse tunnels that we were talking about earlier that makes network kind of irrelevant all right ev Konsevoy, thank you so much for joining me to walk us through teleport sounds like worthwhile stuff uh, a pleasure to chat to you my friend that's great to be here. Thank you. That was Ev Konsevoy there from Teleport, and you can find them at goteleport.com. It is time for our final snake oiler for today, Mandiant, which is, of course, uh, these days, a division of Google Cloud. Mandiant has a purple team engagement service these days, and uh, I like it. I'm just going to be honest. I like it. I read their brochure, and I was like, yeah, this is this is pretty good. Uh, you know, one of, the, one of the problems with purple teaming, though, is everyone seems to have their own definition of what it is. Uh, but Mandiant's James Anderson joined me to talk through what their version of purple teaming looks like, and uh, here's what he had to say. In a red team, we try and race to an objective and we'll get the shortest path possible to that. And that's good, but there are a lot of security controls that we don't test along the way. Where a purple team really comes in is where you get a red team member and a blue team member to do a range of tests. So we might go, let's try all the different types of lateral movement or try all the different types of privilege escalation. And each one of those are sort of individualized, atomized tests that we can do. And as a red teamer, I can run those tests and the blue teamer from Mandiant will also work with the security team to validate those controls and be like, did we see it? Did we not see it? Was it logged? If it was logged, was it local or was it uh, logged centrally? Were there any alerts generated? And you can build a big picture to see where are the strengths and weaknesses? Are we really good at stopping phishing emails? Are we really good at stopping certain types of lateral movement? Some areas we might be good, some areas you might not be good. And that's what 
purple teaming in a sense really covers is where can we find those gaps that a red team or a penetration test doesn't really cover? I mean, the idea seems pretty simple, right? Which is you've got a blue teamer from Mandiant sitting in the sock with the security team from the org. And then you've got the red teamer out on the, you know, out on the internet somewhere, you know, kind of on the phone saying, okay, I'm firing up this. Are you seeing it? Kind of thing. I mean, this seems more like the idea, right? So that there's a bit of like, yeah, like a control, yeah, attack simulation control validation exercise, not pure play, just, you know, red team try to get in, you know, through some exotic bug and run away with the crown jewels. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's exactly it. It's uh, slightly more, you know, converge towards the idea of the blue team member not just validating the controls, but also helping them in terms of improving their security. So they might go, oh, we didn't see this or we didn't see that. And then we'll go, we'd sort of dig into it and go, well, okay, what event IDs did we see? Or how would we look at collecting that? Or what rules or alerts could we use to generate it? So it's not just validation, but also creatively working with the security team going, look, this is how you could detect these types of activities and let's work together and build some of those as well. Yeah, I mean, I had a look at the uh, at the glossy at the brochure before this interview, and I got to say, I mean, I, 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 it all seemed pretty reasonable to me, right? Uh, yeah. So the idea is this is like a three week exercise, and um, yeah, at the end of it, the thinking is you're going to be in a better position than at the start of the engagement, which. You know, and I say this, but having been friends with a lot of red teamers over a lot of years, I mean, that's the frustration that they get in their job is quite often they wind up writing down a list of stuff for the customer to do or take care of or a bunch of recommendations that tend to get ignored. It's very hard to do that when at the outset of the engagement, the, you know, the blue team component is part of it, right? Yeah, oh, absolutely. And I think you sort of really hit the nail on the head there is that idea that we can, as security experts, we can come in and go, these are critical issues. You need to fix these right away. And we sort of hand over the report and we sort of hope for the best. And pat and, yourselves on the back because yeah, they pat, fixed yeah. that one bug that let you get in to do, you know, lateral movement to get domain admin. And yes, yeah. job well done. Let's all go get it. It's a true. And yeah. I think there's a sort of, there's an issue with like, you can hand over a report and your your expectation is, yeah, they'll take it and they'll implement the changes straight away. But Often well, we that's find... the expectation if you've only been in the game a little while, right? Yeah, like I think the longer yeah, you've been exactly. around, your expectations <laughs> kind of fall, right? Yeah, the longer you're in the game, the more you realize that you send a report and they acknowledge the report. They go, yeah, thank you for the report. But whether, you know, there might be a bunch of challenges. It might be they don't have the time to implement it. Sometimes, even though you sort of give some high-level steps as to how to remediate they it. They don't have the expertise. They don't, exactly. Yeah. And that's where they run into those problems. And it might be that in a future point in time, you do another red team for them and you find the same vulnerability is still there. And, you know, there were a bunch of internal processes that they just had to, you know, manage on their own that meant that it just wasn't a high enough priority. And so that's where purple teaming actually gives the sort of time and space to go, okay, let's really sit down and look at how to fix these issues. I love how we've got MITRE ATT&CK now as a framework where in red team reports, we can tell clients to implement a detection or a control and we can give them the, you know, the MITRE ATT&CK yeah. uh, ID for it. But that doesn't mean they're going to be able to actually do it, right? Which I think is what you're getting at. Yeah. Oh, that's exactly it. You, and, need, you, know, to, you need to build a detection for this and that, you know, don't don't tell them how, just, uh, you know, build a detection for that. I mean, that, yeah. that, you, you see that stuff in, in red team reports, right? You do. And I this is... I think part of the challenge sometimes, especially with red teaming, is that because, you know, we don't work for those organizations, we don't know exactly how those systems and technologies and security stacks all fit together. 
Uh, and so our advice is somewhat more generalized. Well, you're shooting blind, I guess, a little bit. Is, yeah, is, we're is going. The point. Yeah, and I'm not trying to be. I'm not trying to, you know, call yeah. red team as dumbasses. I'm just sort of pointing out that inherently there's some, there's just some issues with the way, not the way that it's conceptualized because the concept is good, but in practice, you know, it does wind up going being less useful than we'd hoped. Let's put it that way. In a lot of, in a lot of contexts, some orgs are really well positioned to make great use of red teaming, but a lot aren't. I think is what we're saying, right? Uh, well, I think t to some extent, yes. I think, you know, you certainly need a, a certain level of security maturity to do a red team. Uh, and I think red teams are still really valuable in terms of like highlighting, wow, there are lots of gaps, not just in our technology, but in our people and our processes. Uh, mm. But I think a purple team uh, is a really good extension to that because it goes, okay, well, we've sort of really highlighted some of those big gaps. Now let's dig into the detail and see, you know, where can we, where can we really fix those issues and really identify not just one specific area, but, you know, the, the sort of nuance. And as we always say, the devil's in the detail. And I think that really comes true in purple teams as well. Well, that's actually where I'm about to go next, right? Which is on the blue team side of this engagement, you know, how in the weeds would a mandiant person who's doing this engagement actually get? Are they going to actually help them stand up detections for various, uh, for various squares on the old MITRE matrix? Or is it just a case that they you know, that they're submitting a report. I mean, how in the weeds and hands-on are they going to get as part of this process? Because it's only a three-week engagement, but I'd imagine there would be at least some room to help them actually, uh, you know, stand up some detections and controls. The clients, yeah, that and is, that's, yeah. that's exactly it. So it is, uh, it is, as I sort of mentioned at the start, it is definitely a, a sort of digging in the weeds. And they, you know, the people from the blue team are obviously working incident response all the time. They deal with a variety of different, defensive technologies and security stacks. And so they know a lot of what organizations and companies already use. And they basically work with that and go, oh, okay, it looks like you're using this you know, security stack and this is how you do your alerting. Uh, let's see if we can build some alerts or detections, or maybe you're not getting those you know, logs from one area into our scene. Let's see if we can fix that. So they're definitely digging in to work with the, the SOC team to go, okay, we want to make sure that you know, for these pieces that we're missing, that we have something in place. And the security team knows what those steps are. They're working alongside the blue teamer uh, to implement these things. So there's definitely a part of that. There was, of course, a report at the end, which also touches upon the different areas that we've tested and where we did see detections and where we didn't see detections. And that's always important as well. Uh, but certainly we do dig in uh, into the weeds a bit to make sure we have good outcomes there. Yeah, no, I think that's a really interesting idea where you've actually got you know, the attacker and someone on the defensive side who might understand the context a little bit more. You know, even a red team report would be better if you just had someone sitting in the sock to observe it, right? Like, uh, yeah, oh. even that, even without the hands on. But look, look, let, let, let me ask another question here, which is we've already established that we get, you know, the typical enterprise gets very mixed results uh, from a red team exercise. I imagine even with a purple team exercise, there's going to be mixed results but it's going to tend more favorable than just pure red team. I mean, is that the experience or is it just overwhelmingly successful and uh, useful to everyone? I think, I think they have different objectives and they highlight different components. Uh, I think a red team, the best thing about a red team uh, is that it highlights gaps, not just, as I said, in technologies, but also in processes and methodologies. There've been lots of examples where uh, people have like, seen a detection and then they've tried to stop it but you know by the time they've stopped it it's too late and they only realize these sort of gaps 
that exist in a sort of red team engagement because it is a sort of live attacker against uh, you know the, the security whereas team. Whereas this, whereas this, what we're talking about now, it's more like kind of like a, you know simulated attacker behavior than a, than a pure red team exercise, right? Yeah, exactly. And so purple yeah. team is much more simulated, so it's much more controlled. And then you know they have an exact timestamp of when it occurred. What you know from what a machine A to machine B, this is the type of technique that we're trying. These are the sorts of things you should see you know, based on different event IDs or different telemetry that we're coming up with. And so it's a very controlled environment that they can, you know, observe the state of what has happened, which is good uh, because it helps to identify, you know, exactly what we did or didn't see from a security standpoint. Uh, and overall, I think outcomes have been really good when it comes to Purple Teams because it's a sort of a really collaborative effort. So they go, oh, I didn't know. A lot of times I've heard people say like, I just didn't know this type of, this set of attacks even existed or how it would yeah. even look. And it's just like, those and people are using, and, and, and also in your brochure, you say about how you will throw uh, TTPs at orgs that are sort of relevant to their industry verticals as well, which I think is a really uh, interesting idea. Um, so yeah, they might be, they might say what attackers are doing what now they have, they yeah. have what's on the what. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's exactly it. One of the great things about, uh, you know, um, Mandy within Google is that we have a huge wealth of, you know, industry experience from our incident response and also from our intelligence reporting. And that really feeds into go, we, we know certain types of actors, you know, the target specific industries. And we go, yeah, we see these types of, uh, techniques are being used against them. So let's bundle those types of techniques and we'll try that in the purple team and we'll see what that industry, you know, how well they're able to detect those things. And at the end of it, there's a report that says, if, you know, an attacker was trying to target you today, these are the types of things that they could, they try against you. And some of these things you were good at, some of these things you weren't so great at. And so and yeah. as part of it, we've gone and built some of those, you know, detections to go, okay, these things you're not great at, but we're sort of improving your security so that you have a better chance. Yeah, and are people doing these kind of regularly or are these tend to be point in time exercises? Uh, we have different different clients do sort of different yeah, approaches. Different clients do it yeah. Yeah. So so some people just yeah, they're one off and they're like, Wow, that was really useful. Others but are the like the ones in critical, you know, security critical uh, sectors with deep pockets would tend to do it more often, right? <laughs> I mean, I guess that's probably the case. So. I mean it's the way of the world. Look, yeah. Now look, one last thing, James, is like every time you're like, Oh, well, red team and purple team, you know, different. They're different. They're different. And okay, fair enough, they are different. But I guess my question is if you could do only one, you know, you wanted to do either a red team engagement or a purple team engagement. You know, which would you pick? If it was just one that you could pick, where are you going to get the greatest security benefit? Good question. There's the curly question. You were worried about curly a curly question. question. There it is. I would say probably a purple team is a really good value. I would really say definitely a purple team. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, there are a few caveats around it because yeah. different different companies are at different stages and, you know, they have different, they have things that they're looking for. Some are looking for big impact and, you know, demonstrating, yeah, we're vulnerable and a red team's really good for that. Uh, but a purple team's really good for going, okay, let's really dig into the security controls and make sure we're covered across a variety of different vectors. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, purple teams are really good value um, in terms of what yeah, you get look, out Yeah, look, I them. mean, the reason I say that is because I know someone who came into the Australian infosec market over a decade ago and were wanting to do this sort of thing. They said, everyone's doing red teaming, we think, or pen testing, it was more commonly referred to then, you know, we think it would be more useful to actually sit down with their people, actually look at their network, 
simulate some behavior and see where we could tighten things up. And it bombed, you know, and I know the market is very different. It's, it's, it's a decade later and I can see absolutely that stuff like this will succeed commercially, but it bombed and it was very frustrating for all concerned. And then they just went and did pen tests and red teams and that's fine. But yeah. they always saw this, this sort of thing as a way to deliver better value for clients. Yeah, and I agree. I think there's a lot of companies now that have done a red team at one point or another, and I think they've sort of demonstrated the you know the yeah. need for they've more security. They've got the scary findings they can put on the slide deck to free up more budget from their higher ups, right? Yeah, and that's it. So part of it's demonstrating. Yeah, there are there are areas that we're not great at in security, and so now let's really take the next step and invest in ensuring our controls work really well. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, look, it all sounds like a, a very, uh, you know, worthwhile activity. James Anderson, thanks for coming on to Snake Oilers to pitch it to our wonderful, wonderful audience. Uh, it was great to meet you. Thanks. No worries. Thank you. That was James Anderson there from Mandiant. And uh, yeah, my favorite part of that interview uh, was where I asked him, uh, a red teamer, uh, if he had to pick just one exercise, if you could only choose one, which would you do? And yeah, he, he picked the purple team engagement. Um, but that is it for today's edition of Snake Oilers. Part two is going to drop in a couple of weeks. Uh, that's all from me today. I do hope you enjoyed all that. Uh, I'll catch you next time. Cheers. <laughs>